be finding the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, if you will. And while you're doing that, I want to ask a question. What is your opinion of the Bible? See, I know what we are more or less, and we're not trained, we're not brainwashed to say this, but I know we've heard it so many times. Our immediate response, what's the Bible? Well, it's the divinely inspired and inerrant Word of God, right? That's the standard answer. And it's true. But folks, this is God's message to us. Amen. When you pick up the Bible and hold the Bible in your hands, it is God speaking to you. Amen. Someone said it's when we open the Bible, we open up the mind of God to ourselves. I like that too. The first part of that I heard in a message I was listening to, part of a message I was listening to yesterday, and it just caused me to think, and we know this is the Word of God. We know it's God's message. Why wouldn't we want to just pick it up every day and read it? Why not open up the mind of God to ourselves each and every day and see what God has for us? Isn't that amazing? I just love to talk. I love the Bible. I love to preach the Bible. I love to talk about the Bible. And we're going to hear a message from God's Word. You pray that it will certainly be God's message this morning. I would ask you to stand. We're going to read just the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 4. But we're only going to focus on one thought in the first verse. And I'll give you that in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body, and literally it's saying there's one type of body, and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one kind of baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Do you know why many people say there's too many hypocrites in the church? You've heard me say it. You've heard me answer it. Because there are too many hypocrites in the church. Because too many professed believers do not walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they are called. Look at verse 1, and I'm going to center on this first verse as we look at this message this morning. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. You know what beseech is? It's, it's a plea. Paul's pleading with these folks at Ephesus. Later on, Jesus would say, you've left your first love. But right now, Paul's pleading with them to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now, we know that walk refers to our living. It refers to our deportment. Now, I guess we all did grow up in the time in school when we had a grade for deportment. It said right there on the report card, deportment. And we always wanted an A, right? Well, some folks didn't care, I think, whether they got an A or something less. But what is deportment? It's just the way we act. It's just the things that we do. And he says... Live worthy, walk worthy. What is worthy? It's appropriately, it's suitable. And then what is the vocation? It's our calling. So here's what he's saying. Child of God, conduct yourself day in and day out that is suitable to the calling that you have from God. 
Now, what is the calling that we have from God? Well, if you'll just hold Ephesians for a second and turn over to the book of Romans, we're going to start with a very familiar verse of Scripture, and that is Romans 8, 28. And then we're going to look at a couple of others. But Romans chapter 8, verse 28, what does it say to us? And we know that all things work together to good for them who are the called. Okay, there's that word again. The called according to his or God's purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. First of all, he said, we are the called. God has called us to salvation, and God has called us to be saved and to live according to his purpose. The word called here is the same word as in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And then he gives us what I call biblical predestination. We do not believe in Calvinistic predestination. We believe in biblical predestination, okay? Well, what is biblical predestination? First of all, God knows who's going to be saved. That's his foreknowledge. See, God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. You and I don't, but God does. And so God knows all the way through the end of this world who will be saved and who will not be saved. That does not mean that he forces anybody to be saved or he refuses the salvation to anyone. Amen. Who can be saved? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. That's what the word of God says. If you'll just call on the name of God, if you'll turn to God in repentance and by faith apply the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you can and you will be saved. And then here's what God has predestined. Predestinated, some would say. And it's not a who, but it's a what. What does predestinated mean? It means just to set out beforehand. And before the first person, Adam, was ever saved... God had said this, I want you to be conformed to the image of my dear son. Amen. Be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, God has said, I want everybody who is saved, whosoever will may come, whosoever will can accept Christ, but I want everybody who is saved to conform their lives to the life of Jesus Christ, to live like Jesus, to have the attitude, the outlook, just everything about Jesus ought to describe our lives. And so God knows who will be saved. He has said everybody who is saved should be like Jesus. And he has called us to himself to be his and to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's biblical predestination. God didn't say you can't be saved. But he said the only way you can be saved is, is accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. Now, the word called also has the idea of being called out. It is a, the word for call in the language, but it's got a prefix added to it, which means to call out. Well, how does God call people? If God calls people to salvation, how does he do it? Okay, well, how did he call you out? Here's how it happened. You say, well, you weren't there when I was saved. I know, but I know how it happens because the same thing happened to me either by the preaching of the word or by somebody witnessing to you, God convicted your heart that you were a lost sinner and you needed to be saved. That if you didn't accept Jesus as Savior, you'd die and go to hell and you needed to be saved as soon as possible. Okay? Amen. And as that message was presented, the conviction came upon your heart. Where'd that conviction come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit of God convicted your heart that you needed to be saved. And so through that conviction and through the word of God, you turned that repentance to God and you trusted the price that Jesus paid on Calvary. That's faith. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go back to Ephesians 4 for just a moment and look at what it says. He said, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. What's the vocation that we're called to? Christ-likeness. Somebody said it this way. God only had one son, but he was such a good son and he was such a perfect son that God said, I want a lot more like him. And so he's called people to salvation. I sort of like that. And we are called to Christ-likeness. Not just on Sunday. You know, sometimes people act one way on Sunday and some other way on Monday, right? Well, we're not called to be like Christ just on Sunday. We are called to be like Christ in our daily living. And you know, when we don't walk like Christ, we don't live like Christ, or we excuse it in a brother or sister in Christ, and we may even try to justify it in our own lives, the instruction still stands. Just because we say, well, I was tempted or, or I can't live that way, the instruction still stands that we are to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Paul didn't say walk worthy of the vocation if you feel like it. He didn't say walk worthy of the vocation when you're at church. He said walk worthy of the vocation that you're called to. And he didn't say walk worthy of the vocation unless the crowd opposes it. Folks, the world is opposed to Christ's likeness today. And you and I, if we walk like Christ, we'll be different. And that's one thing most people don't want is to be different. We live in a nonconformist world that conforms to each other. Amen. Well, we're to be the true nonconformist living like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we use the excuse, okay, when we use the excuse, oh, well, you know, preacher, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace, that's all I am. And we sort of give excuse to our sin, don't we? Well, let's just look at the difference between the old you and the new you as a child of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's the old you. You say, I never did any of those things. Well, you're going to debate the Bible? God's Word says that is the old man. That's what we were. That's what's in this flesh. That's what we were before we were saved. But then listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which very clearly says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you're a child of God, you're a different person than the old you. If you're a child of God, you're different than you were before you were saved. And we're to live differently. We're to show that difference. And do you know that God even made it possible to live for him by a very strong influence? Turn to John chapter 17 or look at it up on the screen either way. John chapter 17, I love this verse. I've shared this verse with you before probably a lot of times. But this is one, I've got a lot of favorite verses from the Bible. And this is one of my favorite verses. 
This is Jesus praying. This is the actual Lord's Prayer. He prayed the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get to that on Sunday nights. But this is the prayer Jesus prayed before he goes to the cross. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Let's read it again. And this is life eternal, that they, he's talking about the saved ones, might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Do you realize that most believers are missing the joy of eternal life because they fail to understand the purpose of eternal life, right? Well, many believe that the purpose of eternal life is just to get us out of hell. In other words, to them, salvation, eternal life is just a, a holy get out of hell free card. And that's all it means that all, if I'll just be saved, I won't go to hell. There's so much more to eternal life than that. There's some who believe that eternal life is just meant to cause us to live forever. One of these days you're going to die and you want to live forever and ever and ever. Well, you need to be saved. You need to have eternal life. Well, that'll happen. But that's not the purpose. Some believe it's to allow us to live in heaven. Boy, you need to be saved. You have eternal life. You can't live in heaven if you don't have eternal Well, we'll live in heaven, you know, in the presence of the Lord. But that's a result. That's not a purpose. And then there are those who think that eternal life is only good for when we die. Eternal life is only good for death. I'm going to ask you a question. You know the answer. I'd like to hear an answer. But when do you have eternal life? Right now. Okay? You, if you're a child of God, you have eternal life right now. You're living in eternal life right now. Okay? And that's what we need to understand. Now let's go back to John 17. And this is life eternal. This is eternal life. That they might do what? Know thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now, I love this word know. This particular word know. You know what it means? It means to have a personal and true knowledge of the one known and to be influenced by that knowledge to allow oneself to be determined thereby. You know what Jesus is praying for? I'm going to give you my translation and expansion of that verse in just a moment. But you know what Jesus is praying for? That we would have such an intimate knowledge of God that we would have such an intimate knowledge of Jesus himself that it has an effect on our lives. Amen. That it makes a difference, not just in what we call eternity, which we're in right now, by the way. You know what time is? Time's just a measured off portion of eternity. Eternity is pictured as a circle. You take a line here and a line here and the distance in between those two lines is time. But eternity is never ending. And so... Our eternity is ongoing right now. Now, here's my translation. Here's my expansion of that verse. Listen very carefully. And this is life eternal as to its character, nature, and divine purpose. What is the character, nature, and divine purpose of eternal life? That they, talking about the saved ones, might know thee, God the Father, the only true God, with a personal and true knowledge and an intimate and active relation so that knowledge has an influence upon them, the believing ones, to the degree that they allow their lives to be determined or directed thereby. I walk so close to God. I know God so well. He knows me so well. I know Jesus so well that day in and day out I want to be right. I love the song and our ladies played it as an offertory, just a closer walk with thee. 
Man, I could sing that. I told you I sing it when I'm in Walmart because I really need it then, right? But just a closer one, that ought to be the desire of every child of God. And then also that they might have the same type of knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son whom thou hast sent. Isn't that great? God has said, I'm a, I'll give you something. If you want an influence in your life that will help you walk close to me, I'll give it to you. And its purpose, the purpose of eternal life is just that. Having our lives determined or directed by God, you know what it means? It means walking with Him. Just walking with Him. Remember Enoch? Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. What did Enoch do? He walked daily with God. We're going to look at his life in just a moment. Genesis 5.24, And Enoch walked with God and he was not... For God took him. He just got so close to God. I've shared this with you before. A little girl said Enoch and God used to go on these long walks together. And they were so close. And God said to Enoch one day, we're closer to my home than we are to yours. You just go home with me today. I love that. Enoch and God walked together. If you walk with God, you will please him. I don't believe God wants anything greater than for his children to walk with him. Parents, do you like for your children to be around you and to walk with your children and to talk with your children? I think that would be a big yes. Well, how much more does God want to walk daily and talk daily and hear daily from his children? Is Jesus a bright and living reality to you? He ought to be in daily living. Can you say that you walk with God and that you walk with Jesus on a daily basis? Again, I'm not talking about just showing up at church and worshiping him. You know, we bring our worship. People say, I'm going to church to worship like worship is around. This building does not worship Monday through Saturday. Amen. We are to worship. Amen. And on Sunday, we're to bring our worship in here. And as a corporate body, we are to worship God together. But we're to be walking with God on a daily basis. Someone will ask, well, how do you walk with God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay. First of all, a Walk with God is a walk or it's a life of faith. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. We just live daily trusting God. You know, I know it's sort of old news now, but a few years ago when COVID was the big news, I trusted God more than I trusted what they were saying out of the CDC or what they were saying on the news or what the president was. I just trusted God. Okay? We walk by faith, not by sight. It is a walk of faith that pleases God. Enoch walked with God. The scripture says in Genesis 5.22, after he begat Methuselah 300 years. Now that's a long walk with God. But he walked with God for 300 years. Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. God, what does Hebrews 11.6 say? For without faith, it is impossible to please him. Talking about God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you want to please God, you will walk by faith. Well, where do you get the faith to walk with God? Where do you get the faith? 
to please God. You know what the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now the word word here is not logos, the normal word for word. It is rhema. And the Greek term rhema literally is saying or speech. A man named William Newell, you don't know who he is, but he was a commentator, wrote commentaries. And he said this, faith does come from a report and there must be a message and a messenger. But Christ accompanies this preached word by his almighty voice as we know from the word of God. When you hear the word of God, something happens, if you're, especially if you're a child of God, something happens in your heart. God speaking to your heart. There may be some today who are already in this message saying, you know, I need a closer walk with God. I need a daily walk with God. I for a long time believed that the Bible was the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God. But you know what? Now that you pointed it out, yes, it is God's message to me and I need to hear God's message to me and listen to it. We will not walk with God without faith and we will not have faith until we hear from God in his word. That's why it's so necessary, folks. That's why it's so necessary to regularly attend the worship services in God's house. Because one thing this church does that a lot of churches aren't doing today is that we focus on the Word of God. Amen. I love the singing. I enjoyed especially singing, uh, what was that last song we sang? Each Step I Take. Boy, I love that song. Beautiful song. Just a Closer Walk With Thee. I mentioned that one. I love singing these songs, but folks, and, and they carry message. But they don't carry the message that the Word of God carries, and we focus on the Word. By the way, we, if you hadn't figured it out, we're not an entertainment church. Amen. We're not here to entertain you. You know what I confessed? Brother Truman and I were talking this week. I'm going to tell you what I confessed to him. I'm getting real serious right now. I said, you know, sometimes, some Sundays I just feel like I'm just giving a performance because of the feedback I get. Folks, I'm trying to preach the Word of God. And sometimes I just feel like folks think, let's see what the preacher has today. Let's see what he's going to do today. I probably shouldn't have admitted that, should I? But if all we get of God's Word is what we get on Sunday, folks, it's like trying to work a 40-hour work week with one meal out of the week. You've got to have the Word of God at home and not just come here. You've got to spend time in the Word at home. Enoch was a contemporary of Adam. Adam was 622 years old when Enoch was born. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine maybe Adam, even Adam, talking to Enoch about when they used to walk with God in the garden? Talking with Enoch about the fellowship that was broken when he and Eve sinned? Just imagine. But he was... Adam was 622 years old. Enoch heard from God and Enoch knew God and Enoch walked with God. And you know what? Enoch became a forerunner of us being caught up in the rapture. Amen. Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. He was translated. Translated just means move to a, another place, a different place. And so he pleased God with his walk of faith. But not only does it take a walk of faith, or a life of faith to please God, it takes a walk or a life of fellowship. Look at what it says. Enoch walked with God. You know, Enoch didn't walk ahead of God. Enoch didn't walk behind God. 
Enoch, I can just see Enoch and God walking side by side. Now, preacher, do you really literally believe that Enoch walked with God? If he did, and I believe he did, I believe it was a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ that he walked with. Jesus and God are one and the same. But I can just see Enoch and God walking along side by side talking about the, it, boy, that did get, woo, right by the truth. <laughs> he did that in Sunday school and shook me up and made me jump and hurt my back. So, you know, <laughs> I thought I'd get even. But a walk with God pictures the most intimate of fellowship. When you walk with someone, you're, you're close to them, you're listening to them. Remember at one point Adam and Eve had that fellowship with God? Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 and the scripture says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There was a time that God and Adam walked together. Then Adam sinned and the rest of that verse says and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Sin broke their fellowship. Listen, sin will break your fellowship with God, child of God. And you can sin so much, the Word of God says in 2 Peter chapter 1, you'll forget that you were ever saved. You can get so far from God, you'll think you're lost. You will not lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. It's a gift of God. God doesn't take it back. But you can reach the point that your life will be such, and you'll say, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. And God saved us again that we might intimately know him. What does John 17, 3 say? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Again, that personal, that true knowledge, that intimate knowledge of God, and that's what God wants us to have. I love 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he, as God is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Fellowship, it's a... Walk of faith, but it's a walk of fellowship. Fellowship with God. What do you have to have to have fellowship with God? You have to walk in the light as he is in the light. What are you talking about walking in the light as he is in the light? Well, first of all, let me point out that the word walk here is in the present tense. Okay? What is present tense in the Greek language? It is a continual activity. We have to continually, if we're going to have fellowship with God, we must continually walk in the light. As God is in the light, every day, every morning, we get up and we just let God's righteousness control and lead our lives. And somebody will say, but Brother Jim, I can't do that. And you know what? You're absolutely right. In your own and by your own strength, you cannot do that. It is a walk of fellowship. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now listen to this. For without me ye can do nothing. Amen. Get ready, deacon. Folks, I can't preach. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Except by the power of God. Amen. Except by the power of Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus said, without me, you can't do nothing. Anything. But what did Paul say in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Without him, I can't do anything with him, whatever God needs me to do. Folks, I can do it. Oh, I can't witness. In your own strength, you can't. But if you'll let Jesus and God work through you and witness through you, you can be a great witness. I don't know if anybody has read the bulletin article this morning. I shared a portion with you some few weeks ago. 
I am not the soul winner I would like to be because a lot of times I depend on me, right? And the only way to really witness of the Lord is to let the Lord witness of himself through you. I said in that article, I am highly qualified to be a great soul winner. And so are you. Because I'm saved. I know why I needed to be saved and I know how I was saved. I believe the Bible. I believe Jesus. I believe in God. I mean, I have all of the qualification to be a great soul winner if I'll trust in him. Amen. If I'll depend upon him and let him witness through me. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I want to be found in him not having mine own righteousness. If you're going to walk with God, you've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. You've got to walk in his righteousness as he is in the righteousness. And Paul said, I want the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's what I want in my life. You know what I have if I have any kind of quote unquote righteousness without that? I've got self-righteousness. And we got a lot of Baptist folks that have self-righteousness. I'm glad a few folks agreed with me. We've got a lot of folks like that in the world. And we don't need that. We need God's righteousness. It is a walk or a life of faith. It is a walk or a life of fellowship. But listen, it is a walk or a life of faithfulness. Genesis 5.22 again. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Enoch didn't walk with God in an easy time, folks. If you look at Genesis chapter 6, you'll see the day that Enoch lived in. What did God say about man in that day? The imagination of man was only evil continually. People were devising evil things, wicked things, sinful things. And man's wickedness got so great, God said, I'm going to wipe this world out. And we know that he did. Okay? That's the day Enoch lived in. So we don't have the excuse of saying, well, Lord, you know, it's a difficult day that we live in. And that's why I can't live for you. No. Enoch lived in a day at least as bad as our day or worse. And he walked with God. He lived for God. Our problems and our environment should not keep us from living for God. It should not keep us from walking with God, from witnessing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we live in difficult times. But have days ever really been easy for true children of God? I don't think they ever have. But preacher, you don't know the problems that I have. Listen, we all have problems. Amen. I've got them, you've got them, Adam had them, okay? That's two points in a poem about problems, okay? We all have problems. I can't think of anyone who had a greater problem than Job did. Job lost his fortune, Job lost his family, Job lost his friends, and what did Job say? He said, I'm going to be true to God. And he was true to God. He had problems. We have the ability through the Lord Jesus Christ to walk in faithfulness and faith and fellowship with God. The real question is what is faithfulness? The word faithfulness comes from the word pistis, which means dependable, reliable. It means you can be counted on. Okay? I've shared some questions like this with you before, but if your car decides that it's just not going to start about two or three times out of the month, do you count it faithful, dependable? For a lot of years, I've said this, the second time one leaves me on the side of the road, it's gone. I don't want a car I can't depend on. 
Because sometimes I have to get and go, sometimes in the middle of the night and sometimes go long distances. So I want something dependable. Listen, if your refrigerator decides not to work about two times out of the month, probably right after you went to the grocery store, because that's when they'll quit, right? Do you count that refrigerator dependable? No, I wouldn't. I don't. So how about this? If you only serve God and live for God and witness of Jesus and read and hear his word a couple of times out of the month and come to church maybe once or twice a month, do you think God counts you dependable? No. Now I understand illness. I understand what we call providential hindrance and that sort of thing. But I mean somebody who's healthy and well and is not providentially hindered and they just decide, ah, I don't want to go today. God does not count that as faithful, folks. That is not dependable. So it's a walk or a life of faith. It's a walk or a life of fellowship. It is a walk or a life of faithfulness. And it is a walk of fruitfulness. A walk of fruitfulness. What's the testimony of Enoch? He pleased God. Okay? I mean, that's it. The greatest thing I think that could be said about an individual, a child of God, he pleased God. You know what I want to hear? I've told you what I want to hear one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. I want to hear that from the Lord. I hope I do. Okay? I think that would be tantamount to pleasing God. Right? Enoch pleased God. But go back to Genesis chapter 5 for just a moment in verse 21. And it says right there, Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. Do you see anything missing right there? Well, what's missing? It doesn't say anything about Enoch's faithfulness to God for 65 years. For 65 years, Enoch lived. Best we can determine, not even walking close to God. Enoch just lived his life. And then a life-changing event took place. And what was that? The birth of a child. The birth of his first son. Verse 22 says, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. How many lives have been changed? And you may know some, this may be your testimony. How many lives of people have been changed after a child was born? You know, we're just going to live life and have a good time. And all of a sudden a child's born and say, yeah, I need to get serious about serving God. Because you know Why? That child's going to grow up. And if mom and daddy don't teach that child the things of God and how to be saved and the fact that they are a sinner and need to be saved, that child may well grow up and die and go to hell Amen. when mom and daddy go to heaven. I'm fixing to get myself in trouble. All right? But we've had people attend this church who have small children. And here's how Satan works. We're talking about Satan in Sunday school. This morning. Here's how Satan works. Just about the time that child gets under conviction of their lost condition, Satan does something to pull that mama and daddy or that mama or that daddy or whichever out of church and take that child with them so that child's not back in church. You know what that's saying? I'll tell you what it's saying. I don't care. What is happening with me is more important than my child's soul, than my child's eternity. And folks, it breaks my heart to see parents 
who do not care, absolutely do not care whether their child, by their actions, okay, whether their child goes to heaven or hell. Because I'm going to live for me. It's my life. My youngest, 30 now, huh? 31 in June. <laughs> You're getting there. You know what? My youngest will be 31 in June, and I still care about her life and her relationship and fellowship with God. We need some parents who need to care about their children today instead of caring about themselves. I told you I was fixing to get in trouble. Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. Now, who was Methuselah? He was the oldest man to ever live. 969 years. Do you really believe, preacher, that Methuselah lived 969 years? Yes, I do. Why? Because the Bible says so. I believe there were 12-month years, just like we know today, that he lived that. Why? By the way, I was asked one time in a seminary class I was taking by correspondence, why men begin to live shorter and shorter and shorter times. Well, you know what? It's the cumulative effect of sin in the world. As more people came into the world and sin grew in the world, men just lived shorter and shorter lives. But those that lived 969 years. And you know what his name meant? You know what it is. When he is gone or when he is dead, it will be sent. What's it talking about? It's talking about God's judgment coming upon this earth. When Methuselah's gone, when he dies, God says, I'm going to send my judgment in the form of a flood upon this world. See, God always lets his prophets know before he sends judgment. Listen to Amos 37. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. We don't have prophets today. We have preachers today, but we have a prophecy today. It's in the word of God, and it's about God's coming judgment upon this earth. Amen. We've been talking about this for the last three weeks. See, you thought this message didn't have anything to do with the last three messages that you heard. It does, because this is where it ties in. Enoch became a prophet of God. Listen to Jude, verse 14 and verse 15. Jude is quoting Enoch. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude said, Jesus is coming one of these days. All the way back in Genesis, chapter 5, or sometime around there, Enoch saying, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, and Jesus is coming, okay? And then he prefigured us, as I said a moment ago in the rapture, as God took him out. He prophesied the coming of the Lord and prefigures the saved who will be translated or raptured. I said it was a wicked age, and God wanted people to be saved. So God gave the prophecy that judgment was coming. And he told Enoch, when your baby dies, that's when it's coming. Do you know that the very year that Methuselah died, the flood came? Look very carefully. Genesis 5.25, Methuselah was 187 years old when his son Lamech was born. Just keep that figure in your mind. We're going to do some math this morning. I think I told Aaron we're going to have a math class in the sermon today. 
Methuselah was 187 years old when Lamech was born. You look at Genesis chapter 5 verses 28 and 29. Lamech lived 182 years before his son Noah was born. Now you just add 187 and 182 and what do you get? 369. That's why math is important. All right. A lot of people don't like math. I love math. 369 years. And Noah's born. Now you look at Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. 600 years, two months, 17 days into Noah's life, the flood came. 369 plus 600 is how much? Well, you got one math person in here. Nobody wanted to answer. 969 years. Methuselah died the year the flood came. See, just as God had promised. You can trust the word of God. Just as God had promised the year that Methuselah died, judgment came upon this earth. Isn't the accuracy and the inspiration of God's word something? It's just something wonderful and something to behold. It's a testimony of his great love and his great patience also. Why did Methuselah live that long? Because God being long-suffering. For 120 years, the scripture says, Noah did what? Well, he built the ark and he preached. Noah's called a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he preached God's judgment and he built the ark and God wanted people to be saved. And just Noah and his family were saved. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. Well, several things. One day is with the Lord. That's 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is one day. It's only been a couple of days, right? In God's time schedule. But listen to 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. God's holding off judgment. Jesus hasn't come back yet. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? The saved will be taken out. Seven years of tribulation such as never has been before, ever will be again are coming upon this earth. And all of those who do not know Christ as Savior will suffer and will die lost. And God saying, not yet. Not yet. In his foreknowledge, I think he's saying there's somebody else going to be saved. And not only somebody else, he knows their name. And he's holding off. And he's waiting. Just like Methuselah's aging, God is waiting. Because why? He wants more people to hear the message of repentance. That's where you and I come in. To hear the message of repentance and to be saved. Amen. Why did Enoch walk with God after he begat Methuselah? Enoch saw the end. Enoch saw the, he saw that the end was coming. And like Noah, Enoch was moved with fear. So the scripture says in Hebrews 11, Noah moved with fear built an ark to the saving of his house. And Enoch moved with fear when God told him the end is coming. And I know there'll be people who say, well, I don't really like a religion that's built on fear. You know what the book of Proverbs says? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. We need to learn to fear God. 
People in America do not fear God today. Even most of God's people, I'm going to go out on a limb, even most of God's people in America don't fear God today, folks. Amen. You want me to go farther out on that limb? I don't believe most of the members of this church fear God. Amen. Not the way God wants them to fear Him, reverence Him. And, you know, I was taught growing up not only to reverence God, but you better be afraid of what God can do. Have you ever felt the chastening hand of God in your life? Have you ever been spanked by God? I never liked to get a spanking growing up. And I sure don't want to get a spanking from God. The person who doesn't fear God and his judgment has no wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of God is described as love on its knees. And I tell you what. It's better to be frightened into heaven than to be lulled to sleep into hell. Okay? And I think we've got preachers all over this nation today that are lulling people to sleep and they're going to go to hell. Because people do not hear. Listen, Satan's real. Hell is real. Heaven's real. Jesus is real. See, we want to believe on the good side. Of the, oh, heaven and Jesus. Yeah, I want to think about them. Well, you better think about what the other side is too. Just like Enoch, we're looking at the end. We're waiting for the end of this age. We're expecting the rapture, folks. I believe it could take place at any moment. You've heard that over the last few weeks. We're to pray, even so come Lord Jesus. That's what the Apostle John prayed there in the, after God showed John all of the things that were going to happen. What was John's prayer? Well, come on, Lord. <laughs> even so, come Lord Jesus. And if we really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment... You know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be laboring daily for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be praying for people who are lost. We ought to be praying that the saved would, to use a modern phrase, get their act together and get back serving God. We just ought to pray. We ought to spend time in the Word of God. We ought to faithfully serve God. We ought to be here unless providentially hindered every time this church meets, folks. Do you realize that when we come here, it's a testimony to all the people that pass by out there? If they pass by and there's not many cars here, they say, well, they don't, they don't believe that much, do they? Or they say, there's a church that's in decline. Or there's a I wonder what's wrong with them. There used to be a bunch of cars there and there's not as many now. I wonder what's going on there. I mean, what they see is a testimony. Well, Brother Jim, do you think some of them would just stop in? I don't know whether they will or not. But your showing up here says, I still believe. And I still want to serve God. And if somebody is here or watching by way of live stream, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I only have one message for you. It's the message Noah preached. It's the message Jesus preached. It's the message all the prophets preached. It's the message that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, and I just assume all the apostles preach. You know what it is? Repent. Judgment's coming. It may seem like a fairy tale, but it's not. Either this is the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God, God's message to us, or it is not. If it's not, turn out the lights, lock the doors, let's leave. But if it is, and it is, we better listen to it.